for listening to the sermon podcast of the Potter's House in Virginia Beach. church with a worldwide vision for winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. We're a Pentecostal church affiliated with the Christian Fellowship Ministries. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. Demand your uh, attention, uh, but hey, why don't you turn off the phone? Let's. W- there's somebody else who needs your attention, and that's the Holy Spirit this evening. I, w- I want to encourage you. Let's set aside our distractions, and let's begin to focus in on what God has to say to us. And tonight, we have a great privilege to hear, once again, uh, Pastor Dave Johnson as he comes. Let's welcome him as he comes to preach this evening. Hallelujah. Praise God. Thank you again, Pastor. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We did indeed have a good time this morning, amen. Uh, uh, God met with us and we saw people saved and I believe every service, God has something unique and special for each and every one of us. Not because we deserve it, but because His loving kindness is better than life itself, amen. He cares about us greatly uh, and I know that He can answer our prayers uh, and meet those desperate needs of our life. If you have your Bible and you would turn with me to the Gospel of Luke in chapter 24, I want to minister something that God inspired me some years back. And I preach this in different areas, in conferences and overseas as well. But it is a subject that resounds regardless of where we are at. And it's the subject of scars. We know that scars are a part of everyone's life. Each and every one of us have acquired scars, even from our youth. And uh, we've had experiences, and even to the present time. We know that scars can have different degrees of depth and disfigurement. They are remnants of painful and sometimes traumatic experiences that we have. A few personal scars. I have one that's on my wrist. It's faded over the years. But when I was a young boy growing up on the farm, one of our first responsibilities was to take the trash into a ditch and there we would burn it. So young boys and fire aren't always good ingredients. Uh, In particular, we used to separate, of course, the uh, uh, aerosol cans, things that were pressurized, and we would take them out and bury them. But when we discovered if we took those cans and threw them in the fire, they would explode. And so it was like playing army. But uh, uh, so, you know, there were some dangerous things that uh, my brother and I in particular had done. But we had noticed one time there was a, uh, a piece of plastic that was on fire. My brother had reached in and grabbed this plastic. And again, uh, children do not do this at home. Okay, this uh, is serious. But as the fire began to consume the plastic, it would liquefy and then it would drip. And we were just fascinated by the whole process that was involved. And as we were watching this, my brother was completely unaware that the flames were now licking at his fingers. 
And as the heat, of course, had uh, grown too hot, hot for him to hold, he threw it in which the plastic landed on my wrist and creating very uh, deep burns there. It took probably all of 10 seconds before the screams escaped from my mouth. But eventually I ran down to uh, uh, the house and uh, uh, tried to hose it off. I remember my mother uh, hearing me cry and she said, what are you boys up to now? And she looked at the burn that was there and had to take me into the clinic and uh, some 10 miles away. And I remember as they were dressing it, it was a painful experience. And uh, uh, over time, of course, my mother had to scrub it out and it was the last thing in the world that I wanted her to do and she had to put ointment that was on it and it seemed like it took forever and the things that I liked to do whether it was climbing the trees or you know playing with my dog and different things all of those things were much more difficult because of the pain that was there now I know the scar is healed the pain no longer uh, is there and I remember even talking with my brother uh, uh, about that subject and it's interesting uh, is that he has no recollection whatsoever (laughs) but isn't that kind of the uniqueness of the scars that we have because we were the one who suffered the pain we were the one that was injured I have a scar that's just uh, underneath my lip, uh, above my chin, and you know, from time to time, when my mother would go into town to get groceries, uh, uh, we would have the opportunity to go to the public swimming pool. And uh, we always knew that there was going to be a short window of opportunity, and so there's all these kids jumping in and out of the pool, and of course they have the ladder that's over there, that's how you're supposed to get yourself out of the pool, and uh, you know, I don't have time for that. <laughs> I want to get up on top of that uh, edge and I want to take running leaps. I want to jump. I want to do somersaults, uh, all this stuff. And so I worked my way to the edge of the pool uh, and began to pull myself up under the cement side. And as I got myself up like that and began to lift my leg on that, my hand slipped out from under me, putting my top teeth through this part of uh, uh, my lip. And of course, I nearly knocked myself unconscious. And I remember kind of struggling in the water somewhat. Eventually, I picked myself up, made my way to the ladder, and pulled myself out. And I remember just kind of standing there with my hand over my chin that was there. And there was a handful of girls that were sitting in one corner and they were talking. All of a sudden, they looked at me and got all wide eyed and stuff. And I pulled my hand away and all of a sudden they started screaming and jumping around. And of course, when you're a young boy, that's the best thing that could ever happen, watching the girls scream. But a puddle of blood began to pool at my feet and uh, uh, this wound was just streaming uh, uh, with blood and the lifeguard, of course, hearing the commotion, seeing what was taking place, uh, came down from his perch and he scooped me up, took one of the pool towels and said, hold this uh, uh, against the wound. Uh, uh, He scooped me up and I got a ride in his Porsche Spider. (laughs) So I still remember that, but they were unable to put stitches in it and so they had to use butterfly bandages that went from one jaw, one cheek to the other. And I remember I had to drink soup through a straw. I remember I couldn't eat ice cream. It was just all these things until it began to heal. And even then, whenever I would try to talk, 
it would try to open up, you know, and, uh, and so it was a process, again, that uh, was involved, and uh, uh, so again, I still remember vividly, I can almost picture, you know, even the colors of the, uh, the pool and all of those things uh, uh, in itself. Uh, I have uh, some scars that are along the side of my uh, uh, abdomen that's here. And, uh, you know, my father grew up, of course, as a foster child in, uh, uh, in the rural areas. And he didn't have a lot of creature comforts, didn't have a lot of things. He couldn't teach us. I asked him one time, I said, help me learn how to ride a bicycle. And he says, I can't. I've never had one. And so we were kind of left to fend for ourselves. And my brother had had a, a, a larger bike that was there. At that time, we used to call it an English racer. It was kind of the prequel to the 10 speeds and stuff that came in uh, uh, during the 70s and stuff. And so I figured, I'm going to learn how to ride this thing. And so I propped it up against the uh, uh, four-strand barbed wire fence that I could use to climb up on top of it and get myself positioned uh, as it was aimed downhill. And so uh, I'm going to learn how to ride this. And so I perched myself on top of the seat, uh, pushed myself away from the fence, and on down the hill I started, careening off of the barbed wire fence until eventually it grabbed uh, 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 my uh, shirt uh, and stopped me. And there I was hanging from the fence while the bike continued to go down the hill. And so, again, that's a very vivid memory in my life. And I know that all of you as well, you have scars. And, you know, you go to school and sometimes, you know, boys, oh, how'd you get that scar? Oh, I had this happen. I had that happen. And, you know, I had a friend of ours that, you know, uh, she had horses and uh, she fell off a horse, got kicked in the head and she had a big old scar. And so it was hard to, uh, you know, get beyond that uh, in itself. Uh, but yet we know that in those experiences in life, that there can be difficult memories, perhaps debilitating scars. And frequently, we attempt to conceal those scars. We're not often proud of them, but rather embarrassed. This is why plastic surgery uh, is uh, a multi-billion dollar business. It's not, not all about breast augmentation or butt lifts and things like that, uh, but often it's used uh, to be able to reduce scarring or to remove them in some way. And so we know that we have injuries in life. And this is true not only outwardly and physically, but it's true inwardly as well. That we need to allow these wounds to heal. We have failures, we have a myriad of hurtful experiences in life, but the reality is that those painful experiences do not need to disfigure our spirit and our countenance permanently. With that in mind, we want to read in Luke 24, beginning in verse 36, and just a foundation of what is taking place here. A number of disciples had left Jerusalem. They were on the road to Emmaus. When a man joined them and saw how disheartened these men were, and as they began to explain the reason for their disappointment, the reason for their discouragement as they had placed their hope, their faith in Jesus only to see Him betrayed and crucified. And they're broken. They're 
lives are uh, now just a, a wreck of emotions and uncertainty. This man begins to speak and begins to encourage them and say, well, these things needed to happen. These things were necessary because the scripture speaks. And as he began to speak to them, it says their hearts begin to burn within them. They invited him in to have a meal. And it says that as he took the bread and broke it and blessed it, their eyes were open and they saw that it was Jesus. And just like Jesus who makes grand entrances, he also just evaporated from their presence. Leaving them to wonder uh, the miracle uh, that they had just uh, experienced. Now they've gathered themselves up. They didn't even bother taking a nap. Uh, and they've gone back uh, uh, into Jerusalem to find the disciples to explain uh, what they've just experienced. And this is where we take up. And it says, now as they said these things, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said to them, peace to you. But They were terrified and frightened and supposed they had seen a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And I want to stop there for the moment. Uh, again, the nature of a scar is a wound remembered. And I imagine if we took the time and we talked about maybe personal uh, scars that we have, uh, it's amazing how vivid our memory can be. And uh, uh, this, uh, that uh, understanding that it is an unforgettable quality of scars in our life. And this is true inwardly as well. The con constant reminder of past accidents, of violent afflictions, or even self-inflicted hurts. When we were in Blythe, California, we worked with a young teenager. He had been in foster homes for a period of time. Uh, uh, his parents uh, uh, had substance abuse issues and abandonment that was there. And so uh, you're talking about a young man who is struggling with a lot of uh, issues in life. And he had attempted to take his life uh, by placing a 22 rifle to his chest uh, and pulled the trigger. Narrowly missing important parts of his heart, but yet a very painful experience. He'd given his life to Jesus and began to realize that God was his father, amen, and began to be a part of the family of God. But yet, as I was talking with this young man, he would show me his scar and where this had taken place, and just he wanted someone to talk to, to recount, you know, some of the things. And so here's this gaping wound that was once there that is now healed uh, and the scar tissue remains. Now he has somewhat of a normal life. They had to rearrange some things with his digestive tract. You know, it's unimaginable some of the things that someone would experience. But what struck me, even as he was telling these things, was the pain and the scar that possesses a person to want to end their life in the first place. The sense of disappointment, the heartache uh, uh, that is there, the, the pain, uh, the desire not to live any longer. We know that 
Most scars that we have are left by accident. Whether someone's been involved in a car wreck or some other type of uh, uh, vehicle collision or something like that, or somebody uh, did something that they were unaware was going to cause a chain reaction that would hurt somebody. That's why we call, call them accidents, because they didn't mean to do it, and circumstances just seemed uh, 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 to bring about these injuries. But yet we know that sometimes there are those Injuries that are left by a malicious attempt to hurt another. Those who've grown up in our streets, in many of our cities today, the gang violence, uh, sometimes senseless violence. We read all too frequently of people who have been uh, exploited and abused, uh, abductions. And again, most of us, we could scarcely imagine uh, the imprint, the influence, the impact that this would have upon an individual's life. And so the emotional trauma lingers long after those wounds heal. I read an article sometime back that it actually inspired uh, uh, this thought, uh, and it was about a plane crash that took place in Sioux City, Iowa. We still know that traveling by air is safer than us getting in our car and driving home tonight. Statistics prove that. But yet there's something innately frightening about plane crashes because of the impact and the, the visual uh, uh, considerations that are there. What made the Sioux City, Iowa crash unique is it was one of the first that was captured on video. And uh, many people all around the world uh, recall the uh, plane that had radioed in, that it didn't have all of its landing gear uh, extend uh, uh, as it was approaching the runway. And so again, there was this apprehension that something cataclysmic could take place. Uh, and uh, uh, all of a sudden, cameras were focused uh, on the runway uh, as the uh, aircraft began to come in. Uh, and as it began to land, it began to slide sideways and then eventually uh, begin to cartwheel literally across uh, uh, the runway uh, and then burst into a ball of flame and slid into a cornfield. An image that, again, many people just find, you know, unimaginable thought or horror to be caught up in such an event. Of course, people had stopped on the road. There were already emergency personnel that were positioned, but yet there were people uh, just coming uh, uh, out from the neighborhoods uh, wanting to lend a hand and helping people who were going into the flames of the wreckage uh, to unbuckle people from their seatbelts to extract them uh, uh, and pull them away uh, uh, as the uh, plane was burning in itself. So needless to say, this has a tremendous effect. And so they went and began to have interviews with those who survived this tragedy because the majority of people in that plane survived. And so they began to ask them how this had affected their life. 
Many, of course, were very remorseful. Many people who were bitter, even angry. Why did it have to happen to me? I was at an important place in my life. I was ready to get married, uh, and now the marriage didn't take place. Uh, uh, those who had uh, young children, now this would inhibit their ability uh, in raising their children and their employment opportunities. Uh, and so there were those uh, cases of individuals uh, who it negatively affected them as you and I could only imagine. But yet there was a marked difference of individuals who reflected an entirely new maturity in their life. Some of them, of course, had to address issues of handicap, limited abilities, and things of that nature. There's an account of a man who was a CEO of a major corporation, somebody who was in great demand, uh, someone who was earning seven figures, uh, that this brush with death uh, caused him to reevaluate his life uh, and realize that life isn't about making money. And so he began to reduce his workload. He began to apply himself uh, to be available for his family and then began to volunteer in his community and became a community leader, uh, taking positions uh, oftentimes that paid no salary whatsoever. Even among our war veterans, many of those who've been injured, most of us can never imagine what it would be like to be uh, involved again in the, uh, you know, the, the heat of a battle with explosions and you know, gunfire going on all around you uh, and seeing your comrades that are falling perhaps at your side. Uh, but yet uh, we find that those who have you know, the remnants of uh, some emotional impact of that is that when there was a victory that was achieved, when there was an objective, uh, uh, some sense that their sacrifice was for a reason or for a purpose, they have a much better opportunity of dealing with the pain and the experiences of recovery from warfare. Going back to the crash survivors, many of them remembered and they recalled how people hazarded their own life entering into the wreckage and the heat uh, of that uh, uh, inferno in order to pull them out. The accounts of people who had little or no experience with any such uh, type of trauma, but yet they would sit there at somebody's side and just hold their hand and pray for them. Uh, sometimes people who knew little else to do other than to sing songs, which brought great comfort. And this inspired those survivors to apply themselves, that someone risked their life to save me. And so this helped them in their recovery process. I want to consider, lastly uh, tonight, is that scars do mean healing. You know, my mother was a teacher and uh, taught in the rural uh, uh, Dakotas, and uh, uh, she taught all of the greats. And, you know, we can't hardly imagine that nowadays, but, uh, uh, you know, and so she was always very interested in, you know, making sure that her children, you know, didn't talk like clodhoppers and, uh, you know, was always, uh, you know, trying to teach us, uh, you know, there are better ways you could say that, or you shouldn't do that. And even when it came to injuries, she was always 
reminding us to tend them. You know, we lived on a farm. There was, you know, lots of manure. There are a lot of things we were involved in. She didn't want us to get infections. And I remember even sitting in church one time, uh, and, you know, I had one of those scabs that just itched like fire. And I remember picking away at it because I wasn't paying attention to anything that the pastor was preaching. She reached over and she pinched me. She said, stop it. Don't pick your scabs. You can make it worse. And see, there's a truth that's involved in that, is that sometimes we don't let things heal. And we have a way of picking at it, opening it back up, loosing the blood flow once again. And this is certainly true inside. People that have been emotionally affected. Oftentimes we have a way of preventing things from healing properly. But if we allow things to heal, how many know uh, that not only does that uh, inspire uh, uh, hope, uh, but it also means that there's new liberty and movement. I have a friend, he pastors in Southern California. When he was young, he was involved in a a circumstance which burned him over 60% of his body. Again, those who have been in burn and trauma units, I know people who have had to work with those who have been severely injured. Uh, uh, It's a very difficult process, the debriding process, which uh, revolves around the removing of dead skin uh, on a regular basis. There are the salt uh, solution baths and stuff. And uh, if you've ever had salt on a wound, you can only imagine. But yet, this is part of the cleansing process. Uh, And uh, uh, he remembered many, not only the pain and the discomfort that was involved, but also the fear. Who's ever going to want to pay attention to me with these scars? Who's ever going to want to love me? How am I ever going to have a wife? How am I ever going to have a family? And those types of thoughts can be debilitating in so many ways. But yet, he went through those processes and he healed. And not only does he pastor a thriving church, about 120 to 130 people or so. He's planting workers in different areas. He's got a lovely family. He's raising, helping raise grandchildren as well. And so oftentimes when we're going through the pain of an experience, we're focused just on the pain. It's hard to consider the future. It's hard to consider how things could be different. See, scars mean healing and recovery. That newfound liberty. And what I found interesting, even as I was reading the article on the Sioux City, Iowa plane crash, is that burn victims and crash victims are frequently asked to go visit more recent victims in the trauma units in the hospitals to inspire them. Because they're the ones who have gone through this experience and there they can say that regardless, you know, what the nurse says and the doctor says, I've been through this. I know how painful it is. I know how difficult it is. I know how you want to die. But if you will just go through the process, you begin to get your life back. 
you begin to have movement once again. Uh, things begin to change. Uh, it won't always be this way. And how many know that's an important message for us to understand, uh, even as we are enduring difficult times as well? Again, they find those who have the most compassionate heart, uh, those who have the most volunteer attitude, or those who have been hurt themselves, or someone who's very dear to them. I remember my wife, you know, we're a young uh, married couple, and, uh, you know, we uh, had four children. I mentioned our first daughter passed away at 16 months old, and uh, uh, but yet, one time uh, after one of the children was born, she was uh, kind of sulking a little bit uh, uh, in a chair in the living room. The uh, kids had been fed, they'd been put to bed, and uh, uh, you know, and so I just want to encourage her. You know, I, I can't imagine what it's like to give birth to a child. I didn't have to go through the pain. I didn't have to endure those things. And so, you know, honey, is there anything that I can get for you? Would you like some ice cream? How about something to drink? No. How about a back rub? You know, that always works. No. Well, is there anything I can get you? No, I already told you no. Just leave me alone. Well, can you tell me what the problem is? It's these stretch marks. See, giving birth leaves a mark. And I know there's some postpartum depression maybe that's going on. There's a whole bundle of hormones and things that are happening. And so for those of you who are concerned, you know, your wife's not here to defend herself. I want you to know she's okay with this illustration. <laughs> because those marks you know, no longer inspire depression or discouragement, but they are a reminder of what she endured and what she had gone through to bring our children into the world. This glory of participating uh, uh, in birth and in creation in itself. A reminder of the sacrifice and the love and even the years of investment in our children. Coming back to our text, again, we see the hope that Jesus presents. Now, remember that the Bible says that he, in his visage, his appearance was marred more than any man. The scars weren't just where the nails were placed in his hands and in his feet uh, or the spear that was thrust in his side. Uh, we recall, those of you who have seen the Passion of the Christ, the brutal beating that he received at the hands of the Romans, those who had plucked out his beard, the crown of thorns that was thrust upon his head. Again, uh, uh, it's hard, it's difficult for us even to imagine the pain that he had to endure in that experience. But yet here Jesus appears in the midst of his disciples and he shows them his hands and his feet. And this begs the question is why were they there? We read about Jesus appearing to John, the beloved disciple in the book of Revelation and how his hair is white, his eyes are like fire. And so we know that God and His power is able to make Jesus perfect in every way. 
but yet the scars remain. See, they were meant to mean something to these disciples and even to the world. The Bible says that one day when people stand before Jesus in judgment, uh, that they will gaze upon Him whom they have pierced. See, this is what separates Him from the rest of creation, separates Him uh, from all of the other religious teachers. Uh, The scars that He endured paying the price for our sins. This is what makes Him our Savior. But what is so remarkable about this portion of Scripture isn't the fact that the disciples were frightened, supposing they had seen a spirit. It wasn't just Jesus of that, or, you know, uh, uh, actually uh, coming into that arena just out of nowhere. But the fact that his disposition is still so gentle and still so kind. See, many people when they've been hurt, especially in the church, uh, people who have been disappointed, uh, somebody said this, the pastor uh, treated me this way, uh, or when I went to church, you know, I uh, was hurt or, or wounded in some way. Yeah, look what serving God got me. My spouse left me. I was rejected at work. My family didn't want to have anything to do with me. Just remember that Jesus is going to the cross. He declared, no man takes my life. I lay it down. Greater love is no man than this, than he laid down his life for his friends. He willingly went to the cross for each and every one of us. He bore those scars because he bore our sins upon that tree. When we read those words, uh, before he gave up the spirit, uh, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He became a curse for us, separated from God. He had never been separated from his heavenly father uh, in all of eternity uh, until that moment. And the anguish is something that we could never really truly relate to. But yet here he is just a few short days later. Not only is he healed. Yes, that's a remarkable miracle. But his disposition is one of love and of comfort. See, Jesus not only let those wounds heal. He is using them in this scripture to encourage and inspire those who they themselves will one day be hurt deeply as well. Remember that these are the apostles that in their efforts to preach and their evangelism enterprise, they were going to be despised and rejected as well. We read in history accounts that even Peter was eventually crucified by the Roman government. But when they crucified him, uh, that he asked that he would be crucified upside down because he was not worthy to die in the same manner that his Savior died. These men would go on to become martyrs themselves. And they would endure great trials and cruel afflictions. 
I wonder how many times they would reference this very event where they would remember as they were enduring these things how Jesus appeared to them and showed them his scars. And not only that, he simply says, do you have any meat? Do you have any food here? And what a remarkable thing is that instead of discouraging these men, look what happened to me when you left me alone. Instead of uh, somehow using it as some form of condemning leverage, he simply says, let's fellowship. Let's have a meal together again. I'm, I'm back. This is necessary. This is what had to happen. And the Bible goes on to say that God opened their understanding, helped them to see the meaning of the Scriptures. And how many know if we let God heal uh, the wounds, the things that have affected our life, God can open our understanding and give us the means to be able to encourage and inspire others. Closing just even with the thought of the Apostle Paul. We know he wasn't one of the original twelve apostles. But yet, even as he himself said, he was not wit, one whit behind any of them. He is the apostle in chains. And so he writes the church, he addresses issues of sin, the necessity of judgment and addressing issues of immorality within the church. And oftentimes there are those who would raise up, well, he's, uh, you know, he writes all these big things, uh, but if you see him, uh, he's contemptible uh, uh, in, uh, in presence. He's just a small man, uh, all these things. Uh, but, you know, so he had to deal with these difficult settings sometimes. And then yet you read these words. He said, you've not yet striven unto blood. Trouble me no more, for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus Christ. That there was this understanding that it was almost like a badge of honor. I have been hurt. I have been mistreated. Even though I have loved, I've poured out my life. It has not always been reciprocated. It has not always come back to me. And so I know that there are people that are here tonight. Maybe there are physical injuries. There are needs of healing here this evening. There are others that perhaps there are emotional scars. There are things that have taken place. Things that are difficult for you to overcome. I want you to know that Jesus is here to heal. He's here to minister. And I wonder if you could just bow your heads for a moment and close your eyes just briefly. Before we do another thing, I want to extend again a necessary invitation that if you're here and you're not reconciled with God, Jesus appeals to you. He says, come to me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Thank you again for listening. Do you want to receive updates from our church in your inbox? Make sure to sign up at our website, vbph.org. If this message has been a blessing to you, would you consider supporting our ministry with a generous donation? Please visit our website at vbph.org and scroll down to find the Give button at the bottom of the page. We would be so grateful for your support. 
Until next time, love God and love people. 